What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brackish Fly Podcast. Today, we're going to be continuing um, kind of a series about different fish species. And a couple episodes ago, you got to hear from Matt Lewis, and we talked about red-eye bass. Well, we're continuing in that vein of styles, and we're going to be talking about another black bass species, one that I personally really enjoy catching and uh, the areas they inhabit and that is the sawani bass and i have an awesome guest on the line he's done a lot of research on sawani bass and on the different rivers they inhabit and uh without going any further i'm going to introduce you to mr tim and uh tim how are you doing and can you give everyone kind of a little synopsis of who you are yeah so I appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, my name's Tim Bonvecchio. Um, I was grew up in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Um, received my bachelor's of science in natural resource conservation and my master's of science in fisheries management, both from the University of Florida. Um, I specialize in population dynamics, sport fish management. Um, currently a senior fisheries biologist with the Georgia Department of Natural Re- Wildlife Resources Division. That's a mouthful um i've been there for 15 and a half years uh previously i worked for the florida fish and wildlife for three years on the high profile Kissimmee chain of lakes where they have some good large on bass fisheries um i've held multiple roles with the georgia dnr in the past i'm currently a small impoundment biologist helping manage three public fishing areas uh owned by the georgia department of natural resources and several other county lakes and state park lakes I'm also in charge of the Oconee River and also uh, from Dublin down to the confluence. Um, and I've also helped with special projects such as uh, one we'll talk about today uh, with Swanee Bass on the Oaklockney and with Lacoochee Rivers. I'm a passionate enthusiast of black bass. Uh, got a strong, I'm a strong advocate for black bass management, diversity, and conservation. And I'm sure that's where Matt got my name from. Um, Fortunately, I make my ha- my home in South Georgia here, and I get to keep a watchful eye on the Swanee bass populations here in Georgia. Uh, the Lapaha, Okalakni, and Withlacoochee rivers is where they're found in Georgia. Um, and I've done, like you said, a lot of work on them, age and growth, mortality, and the relative weight equation with a few other authors um, and standard length categories for the Swanee bass. So that's probably enough of an introduction. Uh, well... Everyone I talked to, and I talked to, I think it was about four different people, um, your name kept coming up anytime I'd mentioned Sewanee Bass and trying to do like a, a more, I guess, more scientific, more geeky kind of podcast other than just, you know, a fishing podcast. And your name kept yeah. coming up and I'm like, yep, he's the guy I got to get. And finally it, it worked out. And uh, I'm <laughs> so glad to so glad to have you on and kind of kind of go over uh, a few things with with these Sewanee bass, and uh, so, yeah, sounds like you've done a done a lot with them. Um, yeah, I've I've personally been fishing for them several several times, all in in about the same area, and uh, we'll get into that later. I don't want to do any spot burning because uh, I know some of the people I fish with like to keep that very secret <laughs> where I've been fishing, but um, yeah, no. So, uh, so let's get into into Sewanee bass and uh, kind of a what is a Sewanee bass? And so it, let's start with like 
black bass in general. You know, they're okay. the most popular freshwater sport fish in the USA. Um, their popularity as sport fish has expanded their distribution in North America. A largemouth and smallmouth are arguably the most widely known and dispersed black bass species. Mm-hmm. Tremendous diversity in this genus species in this genus Micropterus, with many species having limited geographic description and and uh, conservation concerns. And I'm sure you learned a lot about Matt when he did the red eye. But yeah. now, arguably, I consider the Swanee bass to be the prettiest one of them all. Um, <laughs> Those turquoise maybe, colors, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, maybe it's because I've worked on them a good portion of my life. Um, they pretty much describe my life to a T. Um, my major professor, Dr. Mike Allen at UF, introduced me to that magnificent. They're like football-shaped, man. They're just cool. Um, they're just really a robust fish. Um, and they only exist in Florida Florida and Georgia. And I have so many ties to both states. I mean, except for football now. I bleed orange and blue. Oh, uh, right on, War Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm Florida grown, but now I'm working in Georgia most of my adult life. But uh, my my wife works for Florida Fish and Wildlife. So, um, you know, it's it's really both, both you know, the Florida-Georgia line band. That might describe uh, my life. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so now Sewanee bass they have the smallest geographical range of any black bass is that correct that that is well that used to be what they said in the literature um i think since we've decided and matt may not like me saying we're splitting the red eyes but anyway since we've decided that the red eyes are several other species and i agree with the genetic work being done those ranges are pretty small depending on which one you're talking about yeah the altamaha bass is a significantly fairly small range and so is chattahoochee and some of those other ones so i would argue that swanee may be similar to several of the red eyes now okay um as far as having the smallest native range but they're basically between the swanee river to the east and the okalachne river to the west with several populations uh, we'll talk about a little bit that are believed to be introduced um, in between those ranges um, genetically they're proven to be different but um, anyway um, me and my co-authors you know did a bunch of agent growth in grad school and we found that the year class strength of Swanee bass is tied to low flow rates in the springtime um, in Florida rivers so they're negatively related to flow rates so if you have a lot of flushing, it makes sense. If there's a lot of high water in the spring, swannies don't do good with new young or year yeah. class with a new year class. It's just similar to what they found in smallmouth bass up along the New River in Virginia, uh, for an example. But um, recently we just finished, I worked with Dr. Marty Hamill at the University of Georgia on an exploitation and movement study on these special black bass and his graduate student, Joel Yeager. Um, I actually just attended his master's defense yesterday since i'm on this committee and he successfully passed and did a good job um but we did this study in georgia because we promote this black bass slam i don't know if you've yeah, heard about it but we have 10 different species in georgia and without giving away a whole lot of research and we may come back to this study um but the good news is they're not that exploited but we were concerned because i've done exploitation or how many fish are being harvested uh, I've done some studies in southeast Georgia on some of the PFAs, and we see a harvest mentality that's not quite as 
common as we've seen in other parts of the country now. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people release bass, but we still have some some meat fishermen, which is fine. That's a tool that have been taken out of a fisheries biologist um, tackle box lately. So you can manage harvest really good uh, if you have an understanding of your species um, that you're trying to manage and their growth rates and mortality and so on and so forth. So that's a good thing. If everybody's just releasing all the fish, you could have a stunning population. So it's not necessarily a bad thing if people are harvesting them, but with such a small range, we're concerned there might be more exploitation on these populations. So that's why we did this study yeah. to tag the pile of fish and saw. And thankfully, they're not that high. Okay. So um, we kind of touched on a few of the like physical uh, distinguishing yep. features of Sewanee bass. But say someone has never caught one and catches a fish that just looks different. What, what are you looking for to identify Sewanee? And I've seen different okay, different cool. colorations on different fish that yeah so they're relatively small robust football shaped deep bodied um at times black bass species they rarely exceed a total length of 16 and a half to 17 mm-hmm. inches um that would be a really giant um that's a really big one uh, it has a relatively large mouth and the upper jaw extends under the eye but not past the eye that's okay. kind of a dead giveaway um, it also has a shallow dorsal fin notch between the first and second dorsal fins, but it's not pronounced like it is on the Florida or largemouth bass. So um, it has 12 diamond-shaped vertical bars along the side of the fish. Uh-huh. Um, that's the one that's distinguishing to me. Um, but also the turquoise blue coloring found on the cheeks, breasts, and some ventral parts of the mature fish. Um yeah tends to be really profound in the springtime, February up till June, so around the spawn. I think in the literature it's been misquoted that just the females will have that, but I believe it's on both. I don't believe I know. It's on both genders, so males and females can have that turquoise coloration. Um, and depending on the population, if you're a biologist, you can do lateral line scale count between 57 and 65, but that's not... Yeah, that's a little too technical for this crowd, probably. <laughs> yeah, most most of my listeners are probably uh, kayak fishermen, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> so swanee bass, bass do exhibit uh, sex-specific growth rates. Mm-hmm. The females, like largemouth or Florida bass, um, they grow. The females grow more rapidly and attain larger size. Uh, a quality-sized fish for 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 either is a ten inches. Preferred would be twelve inches. And a memorable fish would be 14 inches, a true trophy, 16 inches. Yeah. But males don't surpass 13 inches very often, but females can get to 16 and a half. Um, depending on the population, like in the Wasissa, I didn't find a male over the size limit of 12 inches. So um, when we start thinking about managing fish populations, uh, it's interesting that it's basically a sex-specific size limit in that particular river. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something of concern per se if all the harvest is on females. Um, Swannies can reach two pounds and around 13 to 14 inch mark, but they're, they just add growth and girth. They add girth after that and kind of get football shaped. Um, you can catch a 14 inch pound and a halfer or a 14 inch two and a half pounder. You know, they really yeah. start putting on the weight at that 13 to 14 inch, um, you know, size and then, 
if you catch a sure enough 16 inch or, um, you know, you might, you may be talking more towards three pound range. Uh, females have been aged up to 12 years, males up to nine years. Um, some of the work I've done, the world record is 3.89 pounds. It comes from the Suwannee river in Florida in 1985. Uh, Georgia's record is not far off of that at three pounds, nine ounces called in 1984 from the Okalockney River. Um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, I've caught some two and three quarter pounders from the Wasissa, and I'm not ashamed to tell some of my secrets. I deep Carolina rig in the Wasissa and some of those deep holes, um, yeah. and I've caught some good ones in there, uh, just kind of tying up to the side in those holes, and you can see big fish laying on the bottom down there, and yeah. it's pretty neat, almost sight cast to them, um. But, uh, you know, obviously I've let them all go. But um, even though the West is loaded with Swanee bass, as far as electrofishing catch rates in grad school, we shocked 99 per hour in the Wasissa versus 25 in the Santa Fe and like two per yeah. hour in the Oakley. So that gives you an idea of catch I, rates. When I was reading the paper that you sent me about the shock rates, like when I seen the population, I was like, I was just blown away at the difference and how many more was in the Wasissa. Yeah, and so that leads me to the fact that um, it's been suggested my great FWC biologist friend and mentor, unfortunately he's passed away from cancer, but Rich Calter, um, who's a, he was a co-author on that paper with my major professor, Mike Allen. Um, Rich and I went out and got the aid sample from the Wasissa River, and he believes they're actually introduced um, yeah. from there. The drainage does fall within the Swanee and Oglockney, but... Um, in the 90s, UF was doing a bunch of work with FWC on block netting in those rivers and coves and all around there, and they never found Swanee bass in the 90s uh, with a lot of work. Um, but then a decade later, they started showing up in some of those rivers. Rich found them, and, and the abundances are galore now. And so, yeah, I think they've exploited a niche that um, they may not even exploit in their own native range is good. Um, it's speculated that because there's so much SAV or submerged aquatic vegetation that mm -hmm. there's a lot more crayfish in the Wasissa, which the, might be why it's supporting such a higher population. There's so many fish under that grass. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those, it's like a magical place on earth, man. I love going down there because you, yeah. just at any one point you can stand up or if you're quiet enough, you can look around and count 20 to 30 fish. And, you yeah, know, and, a lot of them are mullet in that river, but. Oh, yeah. I You know what's neat about that Wasissa population is the guys from FWC, Brandon Barthol, he's a geneticist and several other biologists, they went and got samples from all the populations in 2015, and I actually went and got, that was the best sampling we've done. That was a mm -hmm. little bit of hook and line sampling going on there, but oh, yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, um to say the least, they found that the Wasissa population was genetically related to the Oklahoma. So, uh, interestingly enough, somebody potentially moved them um, from one population to another. But, um, yeah, I don't recommend, as we'll talk more, I'm no. sure, about threats. and uh, Moving fish we'll, is never a good we'll idea. Moving fish is not a good idea. So, uh, th that segues right into the next point. So, what is the native range of Sewanee? Yeah, so the native range does fall um, between the Suwannee River, 
to the east and the Okolokne to the west. But in between there, there's some Florida rivers that don't, you know, that are um, considered introduced, but they're, mm-hmm. at least they fall within the native range. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Um, the St. Mark's, uh, Wakulla, uh, Itchitucknee and Santa Fe all fall in the, they're all tribs of, there's several tribs of the Suwannee. Now, Georgia has fish in the Alapaha, which is a trib of the Suwannee, and so is the Withlacoochee. Um, as far as Georgia's populations go, with the comprehensive study we've done in the past couple of years, we worked on the Oak Lockney, and they're pretty low, too, only two bass per hour for mm-hmm. Suwannees, uh, in comparison. Uh, in comparison to almost 10 largemouth per hour in the same river. So that's the only two black bass species there in the Oglockney, um, knock on wood, Swanee bass and largemouth. And then in the Withacoochee, the same. Um, but there's a little higher density than the Withacoochee of Georgia, about seven bass an hour versus almost 10 per hour of largemouth. So um, Withacoochee is our best population for Swanees. We did not get to the Alapaha, but I would venture – I guess the work I've done in the past on them, it's a, they're low compared and more towards the Oklahoma as far as densities. Um, and we only have a couple river miles, about 10. Don't quote me on the exact number, but uh-huh. before you get into the Florida waters anyway. Um, now, is there well, a, you're talking about the different rivers and the, you know, the different population densities. Are you noticing much of a size difference in the individual rivers from, you say, a low population? Are, are there bigger fish in there? And smaller fish yeah, the so um, yeah, I think on average the Oklahoma adults run run yeah larger than the Santa Fe because there's uh-huh. a higher density in the Santa or not Santa Fe. I'm sorry, the Withacoochee. The Withacoochee population has more fish in it, and we don't see as many um, of the larger adults. Um, there there seems to be a density dependence there. We're not sure exactly why. Yeah. Um, there's room for studies on crayfish abundance in the systems with, in comparison to the population of Swannies that are there. So, yeah, you see some real robust-looking fish out of the Oklahoma. Um, Not that you won't see them out of the Withlacoochee, but it, it could be related to density of how many fish are there eating crayfish. Yeah. Um, something, something, well, no, I don't want to steal Joel's thunder. I'm thinking about a lot of what he, he talked about yesterday. and. Um, in um in his thesis so try not to steal his thunder and what he found we we will be coming out with that pretty soon in in some published work i'm sure so what um what all ranges are are possibly introduced or non-native at least so none in georgia um but in florida just below the georgia florida line you have the wasissa Wakulla and St. Mark's are all considered introduced. But they, like I said, they all fall between the Oglockney and the Suwannee drainages. So, um, but there's enough evidence there that the biologists had been on those systems in the 80s and 90s and not found them, and now they do, you know. Right. So So, is it a, is it a a good introduction, uh, or is there any bad repercussions uh repercussions from this well i wouldn't i wouldn't call it good or bad from what we can tell we haven't seen any repercussions but um you probably wouldn't get me to say that anything being introduced is necessarily good so yeah um but but um you know yeah 
it is what it is. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I don't want to condone any movement. Right. Bait bucket, bait bucket introductions are horrible, and we'll I'll talk a little more about what they've done to some of our other black bass fisheries. Yeah, uh, Alabama bass. <laughs> That's a, yeah, and spotted both. One. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what are some of the threats? Are, are there any um, possible things we can help with getting getting the native range yeah you know there's a bunch um we'll start with hybridization since that's the one we were just talking about um uh hybridation with other black bass is a conservation concern um swannies i said they occur sympatrically with largemouth um and florida bass they're kind of the same depends on how much you want to split yeah. Um, and although hybrids of the two species have been documented by Florida, it's a very rare occurrence. Um, but given that Swannies and large enough have coexisted for so long, uh, the current information suggests that their reproductive barriers between the two species is relatively robust and intergression may not be imminent conservation threat. So I don't, but the big thing is the greater concern is like non-native black bass. Okay. Like we were just talking about, like spots and yep. Alabama bass. And um, the best example I can think of is the Guadalupe in Texas, mm-hmm. where you have intergressive hybridization with the smallmouth actually out there. Yeah. Um, but the guys have done a good job of stocking and um, during low water conditions and isolated pools where they've removed the smallmouth and its hybrids and just stocked Guadalupe's out in Texas. Um, and... We're doing that to a lesser extent with the shoal bass in the Chattahoochee. We're stocking shoal bass in, in that river to offset some of the hybridization. So, um, bottom line, if an angler catches a spotted bass or an Alabama bass in any Sewanee River to put it in the boat and take it somewhere yeah, where you guys can check it out. I'm going to have a heart attack if that happens. Yeah, that would that would not be good uh, <laughs> at all. It would not not be good, and I don't want to give anybody ideas of no, that. You know, not at all. Those those fish are too special to do anything stupid to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one. Um, there's there's habitat fragmentation okay. in the Oklahoma where you have Lake Talquin, that's a reservoir that actually separates the upper and lower Oklahoma rivers in Florida. Um, I think all these special black bass need connectivity, without spoiling and getting into Joel's um but it does appear they're a little more uh they move around a little more than um than we thought but because we did do telemetry on 28 fish but um so habitat fragmentation is bad um they don't move like shell bass that we can tell I mean shell bass do actually migration uh to spawning grounds and things like that but We'll leave the rest of the movement up to Joel's thesis. Um, okay. But what else? But there's stream bank alteration and development. So if if you've got um, a lot of forestry practices in, in the basin, siltation could be a problem and sand, yep. you know, uh, getting off covering up spawning areas and, and you know, um, altera- alteration of the riparian zones, a lot of urban development. Um you know, Matt so that, and I were talking about the red eye, and that being one of the issues with the hybridization with them, uh, not yeah. not having uh, the clear water. You know, the siltiness mm-hmm. and, and the different habitat uh, destruction. Uh, you yep. know, new housing yep. developments, that sort of thing is just yeah. 
changing um, everything. It is. Water withdrawals for human needs and subsequent changes in the natural flow regime in rivers. Thankfully, the Withlacoochee doesn't have habitat fragmentation. It doesn't have a dam on it. Um, uh, unless you consider the Little River a trib that dumps into it, um, Reed Bingham State Park. But I've, for the most part, there's not much fragmentation. Um, the Little River is a, uh, has a dam on it, but it's, uh, it's a trib of the Withlacoochee. Um, you know, rapid human population growth uh, accompanied with urban development and watersheds can you know, increase water withdrawals and affect hydrologic functions of the water table. Um, but the the biggest one, so we've sat here and talked about all these threats. We haven't even got to the one that I think is probably the one that threatens the Swanee Bass the most okay. is um, the degradation of the watershed from excess nitrate, nitrate and nitrogen runoff. Um, and that's also kind of from humans, but the water quality, um, from septic tanks, fertilizers, um, yeah. and the nitrates that could get into the river. Um, you know, it's spring-fed with the coochie, and those nitrates could get discharged into the springs and eventually into the river. Um, there's been a history of sewage spills um, in the basin. I've worked a few fish kills in some of the tribs, so, you know, that's uh, that's a concern for sure. Okay. Uh, is is there anything anglers can do to help uh, offset any of that? Because um, that's what we're know, about. I, we want to keep native fish in their native range and enjoy yeah. them for generations to come. That's my goal for I, my kids and my grandkids. Yeah, I mean, um, for, first thing is, you know, don't leave a trace. Um, mm-hmm. That's a huge one for me as a fisheries biologist and as a fisherman, I make it a point to pick up some some plastic or some, you know, uh, coffee cup or somebody's straw uh, yeah. or something. I, I make it a point to pick stuff up along the way. Um, unfortunately, the, the rafts of trash that I see on several of the waterways um, are an eyesore. So, yeah. you know, that's something that I like to always pick up some of that every time I'm out, you know? Yeah. I think it's changing the culture, man. Because uh, when I when I venture over to Florida, like it's completely different. I feel like the waters are like clean and pristine. Over here in Mississippi, where I'm fishing at a lot, man, the people just don't care. There's it, no matter what. I mean, within a square yard of any river, there's a piece of trash. It seems like yeah. there's trash everywhere. Um. So I, I think it's a culture shift, you know, mean, changing the, when you're out fishing or sampling, you know, you yeah. just pick up a few pieces of trash. Right. You know? I usually come back with a five gallon bucket full. Uh, yeah. If you can do that and not move fish, um, if you take some home to eat, that's great, but don't move them. Uh, if you can do those two things, you're being, you know, respected angler. Um, that's a, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, yeah. Let's um, actually let's take a break real fast and then come yes, right sir. back. All right, so we're back now, and let's talk about their habitat, where they live, and what they eat. Uh, so what what are we looking for in a river? Where are Sawanee bass hanging out in any particular river? Um, 
their distribution encompasses a lot of different kinds of river uh, types. Um, they includes like soft water streams, calcareous streams, alluvial streams, and springs and runs. I mean, you can find them. It's funny because you find them in that calcareous limestone type river, like the Withlacoochee or the Santa Fe. But then you can also find them in the Oglogny, which is more of just, you know, uh, tan and blackwater stained river um, that doesn't have a lot of that limestone. So they, they do, there is some diversity there on where they can be found. Um, but they are found in abundant in calcareous spring-fed waters, high pH and hardness, um, moderate to swift currents, mm-hmm. but relatively stable thermal regimes, so spring-fed for sure, uh, a lot of them predominantly uh, limestone substrate on the bottom in a lot of the rivers, but not all. Um, they inhabit low and high order stream segments and all meso habitat. So you can find them in riffles, runs, and pools of the segments. Um, and But something I've noticed is the adults orient around structure and mm-hmm. are most typically collected in habitats of woody debris and dense submerged aquatic vegetation or SAV, which is similar to a largemouth. Um, um, trying to think what else. Um, they've been captured in both places, largemouth and swanies, and prefer uh, rapid waters. While a largemouth may be somewhat relatively slower waters of pools, but I've caught swanies in pools too. Um, um, only two studies have looked at habitat utilization uh-huh. of swanee bass, SRAM and Messina in 1986 looked at the abundance and size groups of swanee bass in six macro habitats in the Santa Fe River. Um, and they found that all three size groups used all different macro habitats. Um, the relative abundance was highest for all size groups in brush pile macro habitats. Um, and then Eric Nadjid, a FWC biologist and company, they examined micro habitats in the Withlacoochee River for two sizes of swanee bass. And the authors found that juvenile and adult swanee bass utilized a wide range of velocities, depths, and cover types. Um, so both studies indicated that swanee bass are habitat generalists in yeah. these rivers based on macro and micro habitats examined. Um, They're opportun- kind of, opportunistic as far as habitat sounds like. They, they are. Adults do like affinity to boulder and root types, and but um, they can be found just about anywhere. Um, and I don't want to steal Joel's thunder, but um, in his thesis, but he did find a few different preferences for some boulder-type habitats, mm-hmm. but I'll, I won't go into those details too much. And and um, when we get to movement, we'll talk a little more about that. But I, won't, I don't want to spoil his work too much. Okay. It's just not published yet. Um, yeah, sure. But, which leads me to... <laughs> yeah. So, um, so are they moving throughout the year? Are they migrating, changing habitats based on temperatures or uh, uh, I'd say maybe. Yeah. Um, without stealing too much of Joel's thesis, Joel tracked 28 bass for around seven months. The University of Georgia master's student recently, um, we tagged them from February to September. Um, and believe it or not, several of the fish moved around more than we thought. Um, Wow. Anyway, I won't leave it too much. Um, hopefully, it'll be pu- we'll be publishing that soon. Uh-huh. But more work is needed. We didn't look at them year-round. The tags 
the tag that we bought was not for year round because that didn't we didn't think that the size of the tag was we thought it was big enough the tag that we used because it bigger tag they're small they're pretty small black bass i don't yeah. think they can take a huge tag um but anyway those fish that joel tag did well um uh he got a lot of information on 26 of the 28 that we tagged so but um yeah, he's going to come out with some cool stuff. I don't want to steal his thunder on on what kind of movement we say they are. But I, I will say I don't think they move like shoal bass. Okay. So but, it, you, uh, you're talking about tagging. It Was it uh, like acoustic tagging? Yeah, acoustic, okay. yeah. So, yeah, he we did we did two types of tags. We did So we did 28 acoustic tags where we tracked them everywhere in the Withacoochee. Mm-hmm. But we also did dart tags in the Withacoochee and the Oglockney. Yeah. where we put rewards on them. We did not publicize it except we put it at boat ramps that there is these high-dollar tags out in the water. There's still fish out there, but they if you catch one, the study is over. Um, you will only get a hat from me if you turn in a tag now. Yeah. The, the, the year study is over with, so yeah. we can't funding the tags that are out there, although they say reward on them. Yeah. Um, we'll still give a hat for participation if you catch one. Definitely cut it off and send it in. Oh, I can't give you a hundred dollars per tag. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, a hat is still a reward, right? <laughs> it is, and they're a cool volunteer hat. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Georgia DNR hat. So, if you catch one in the Oklahoma or with the Coochie, please cut the tag off and and uh, send it in. There's a University of Georgia phone number, and you can leave a message on his on his uh, on Dr. Hamill's machine, and then. I'll end up tracking you down and calling you and, and get basically giving you a survey about your interests on how you caught that fish and and um, you know it, it leads to good management for swannies and largemouth in those systems. Um, we just didn't want to inflate on the exploitation part. We didn't want to inflate people to to um, yeah. go artificially fish that river because there's money in the water. Yeah. So that's we didn't publicize it much. We just got a good representation of what was out there. And thankfully, even with the bass slam and all, it's, it was not very high. Um, again, those results will be published soon. Yeah. And now, it's funny you say that. I've, I've worked with uh, a research lab here tagging tarpon, uh, juvenile tarpon mm-hmm. in Mississippi. And there's one population we found. It's a, like a nursery habitat. And I think total, over about four years, we tagged 40 or 50-ish tarpon and yeah. uh zero recaptures <laughs> so wow there's either hardly nobody fishing in that area or the population is a lot bigger than what we're thinking like we're just getting studied with all or just getting started with all of that on huh. uh, yeah that's that's interesting yeah we we got we tagged like 157 fish and got 13 tags back so yeah it's a it's uh, a low percentage uh return yeah, 8% I think we got back, and that's across two rivers and two species. Yeah. So it it worked out good, but yeah. um, anyway, if you if you catch one now, you, you're just getting a hack because <laughs> you know, that's just how we, we could only do the study for a year. We assumed we wouldn't have to give out 157 tags. Yeah, <laughs> that can get uh, expensive. That would be $15,700. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the scientific literature shows you get 100% participation with high reward tags, and that's the way we've gone in fisheries yeah. is to the high reward, and, and it's good. It, you're going to get participation when people catch a high reward tag. Absolutely. Look at the CCA Star Tournament. <laughs> yeah, 100 bucks is not going to sit in my tackle box long without no, being turned in. Not at all. 
<laughs> so, so let's talk about what Sewanee bass eat. I know you've done some studies on uh, on finding out what what's in their stomachs. So. Yeah, so um, I haven't like I have definitely tubed fish and looked at it. Um, that was one of the first things that was actually done. Um, two excellent fisheries biologists, um, House Ram, um, who's a, was a Mississippi State, uh, Florida and Mississippi State professor, and then. Uh, Mike Messino was also a Florida and Auburn professor. Um, while they were both at UF and my friend Rich Kelter, they looked at their diets, and they strictly they are strictly a riverine fish. The Swanee is, mm-hmm. and their diet consists primarily of crayfish. Sometimes you'll find a large adult will have some fish in its belly, a shiner or something like that. But in general, um, they are highly. They're not. Their diet nearly isn't nearly as varied as a largemouth in the same river. They, yeah. they prefer crayfish. Um, it's been speculated by some researchers that the scarcity of swanee bass in some systems is, is due to insufficient crayfish abundances. So it makes sense. The Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of SAV or submerged aquatic vegetation in it, and we don't see a ton of swanee bass in there. There's probably not a ton of crayfish in there, but then when you see clearer systems that have a lot of plants, or SAV, like the Wasissa, you see a ton of swanee bass. Yeah. Makes that's sense. been quantified, but that's how it's been speculated by a couple of professors a lot smarter than me. <laughs> we have an old saying, <laughs> yeah, especially here in saltwater, you find the bait, find the fish. It sounds like yeah. find the crawfish, find the swanee. Yeah, I mean, the, the when we get into fishing and things like that, it, uh, if you have crayfish imitation baits, you're, you've already figured out 95 percent of the hatch yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so eating crayfish are are they ambushing them or are they actually searching them out or do we really know well it took that long but i think you've stumped me um (laughs) i from from what i can tell they're similar to a largemouth if you want to call a largemouth an ambush predator then I would say they're similar to a largemouth. I do think they hang around woody debris and around rocks and stuff to ambush their prey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could be wrong. So you kind of stumped me on that question. Uh, that one's that one's kind of loaded. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, that yeah, I, I like. I don't know. It makes it easier for me when I can find out so much about the you know the prey I'm after. Uh, <laughs> but they're perfect predators man fish are fish yeah. are incredible and once you they once are. you key in on on how they eat it's pretty easy to catch them i agree um so yeah so i guess with crawfish moving around as much as they do i mean i i don't see why they couldn't do both but that's yeah <laughs> yeah maybe uh, yeah i I would say they're more of an ambush, but I mean, they may hunt for them if they know where their habitats are, you know, and yeah. if bass live in, or if crayfish live in, in aquatic vegetation, that's why you, where you'll find swanee bass, you know, so they could be both, but I guess I tend to lead towards being an ambush predator. I, I know when you drop a crawfish fly uh, about four inches in front of one's nose, he'll hit it pretty fast. <laughs> uh, so so getting right into that let's let's talk about catching sewanee bass and uh yeah. kind of the, the the times of year when when's good to go when is not good to go 
So you're you're probably going to like what I got to say. Um, Any time is a good time of year to go for Swanee Bass. Um, I was surprised to hear when I was listening to your podcast with Matt that red eyes don't bite well in the fall and the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of this has to do with water temps. Um, at least in the spring-fed rivers where the water temp doesn't vary a ton. So the best time absolutely is to, to in the spring and the summer, but I think Swanee's bite better year-round because of the spring influence and that constant temperature. Um, and obviously if you want to target a fatter, heb- heavier female, the February, Mar- you know, January, February, March, time, December, January, February, March time frame, you'll get those pre-spawn bites, you know. Um, I've done really well in the middle of deer season in the fall when yeah. when there's a, a lot of the swanee bass are biting. So I I don't know about the Oklahoma, uh about whether or not that would be good because it doesn't have as much spring influence. But the, all the other spring-influenced rivers where your water temps don't vary as much, I, I caught them in the Wasissa, and I left my house in grad school, and it was freezing out. And um, and when I got there, it was only like 38 degrees, and I caught several fish that day, and it was really cold, and it was a December day. Yeah. Now, I'll, so I'll, I don't. The the first time I went fishing for them was in the like beginning of February, and it was pretty cold. The alligators yeah. they were they were kind of dormant, but uh, man, the fish were on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anytime you can go is a good time. That's probably they're an ideal fish to fish for. Um, That's good news to hear. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the the only bad time to go for them is when the river's up and it's muddy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So um. So what about like uh, time of day? Do they bite better in the mornings? Uh, like typical largemouth. I mean, I've never subscribed to to morning day and all that. I mean, okay. I I'm a little bit. I, <laughs> I've caught fish all day on them. I don't. I I couldn't give you a, a specific time of day. Um, yeah. I, I no. I I would say you could catch them at any point in the daytime. Um, I mean, I do think on certain ponds. And sorry, I have an ambulance going by my office right now. <laughs> oh, um, but um, yeah, our office is by a hospital. But um, so anyway, it uh, no. I don't. I don't really say any time of day. Any time of the day is good if you can get out there for swanies. Um, yeah, nah, that's that's, that that's been my experience too. The last time I was I was down in, in the Wasissa, man, we caught fish all day long. We were there yeah. at seven o'clock and caught fish until uh, like one o'clock when we went and cooked on the bank. Yeah. So, and it yeah. never slowed down. It never. Uh, the high heat didn't seem to bother them at all. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's another good thing to go. I mean, I mean, you can sleep late, I guess, if uh, if you're inclined yeah. to do so, and, and don't mind the heat. Right. Um. So what about uh, presentation and lure choice? We we kind of talked about crawfish. Is there anything else that uh, that you would suggest for them? Um. I've seen people catch them on those little rebel crankbaits. A yeah. lot, um, but um, I the I target Swanee bass. I'm gonna kind of tell you a little. Uh, several times on the Withlacoochee, 
fishing upstream of Highway 31 bridge just south of Aquiteville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. You can put in with a John boat and kayak or canoe from that location upstream on low flows. Uh, there's about three miles you can go up with a boat or a kayak, but uh, and the shoal can be portaged upstream if you have a kayak or a canoe, but you won't get upstream with a boat. But um, I've been successful with Texas rig plastic crawfish imitations okay. um, from conventional reels. Um, I use a one or two odd J style of bullet weight, depending on the very how much flow. Um, I tend to use a quarter ounce with low flow and three eighths ounce when there's a lot of flow. Um, I use dark colors on the plastics, um, June bug, black, purple, grape, red shiner, even watermelon red. Um, locals have told me that if the water clears up, the lighter colors work. And I like, like watermelon or green pumpkin instead of, you know, watermelon red. Um, fish smaller plastic bait to target any size swanee bass. But if you want to target a sure enough one and a half to two pound fish up your bait size, you will be limiting your number of bites. But um, the bigger the bait, the bigger the fish. Um, you know, any kind of, I'm not a five, I don't five fish much, so I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about that. But if you can match some kind of crayfish imitation, that's good. Um, and a lot of people use those uh, shallow running crankbaits where there's not a lot of vegetation. So the, the Rebel makes a, a fake yep. crawfish imitation that works pretty well. Um, but I think anything that will uh, imitate like a Helgramite kind of deal yeah. um, could work too. So any kind of tube bait, my friend Andy Strickland, he's a biologist down at FWC. We went fishing in the Wasissa form and and he caught two swannies to my every one on a on a tube bait he was using, and it was a, a pumpkin color um, compared to my June bug. Uh, I I like to use the Zoom crawl dads. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, as far as anything else, uh, I would think a small Senko type bait would work as well too. But you'll be catching a lot of largies too, you know. Yeah, which you know I don't think many people no it's not bad catching them all that's not a bad problem at all (laughs) oh i've seen largies you know six to eight pounds in the withacoochee and oclockney so yeah oh that's that's fun that's a bonus if you're trying to catch a two pounder and you get into an eight pounder (laughs) right (laughs) i mean good luck getting them in but so I've had I've had a pretty good success rate on uh, crawfish flies, you know, which we'd already talked about that. And then yeah. uh, another conventional lure that I use a lot when when I fish down there is a snagless sally spinnerbait. Uh-huh. And I don't know I don't know why, but man, the Sawani either hate it or love it one, but they eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and right. it's That's... black and yellow, and it's uh, of course you catch both in and largemouth with it too, but yeah. I... And from what I can tell, the crayfish that they eat are variable in color. Um, there's a few native crayfishes in the basin. So, um, you know, I think several different colors will work. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. It, it was pretty fun dropping a fly in front of Sawani and watching them eat it. I, I would get on some of the some of the rock shoals that were, uh, you know, just bars, not really even shoals. And uh, yeah. just kind of sit still and wait on them till it just show up, and then I just cool. cast right in front of them. 
And I caught a lot of largemouth that way, caught a lot of uh, red breast and mm -hmm. spotted sunfish that way too as well. So Yeah, that's the big consolation prize for uh, these rivers. There's a lot of nice red breasts in both of these rivers, the Withacoochee and the Okalockney where the Swanee's. And, and the Alapas, for that matter. Yeah, all those rivers have really nice red breasts in them as well. Yeah. That's, that's a phone. Uh, this this past, um, like a month ago, was the first time I've caught red breast on, on fly. And uh, huh. I kind of got caught up in it. And uh, <laughs> it was throwing poppers for a long time. Just How do you keep it out of that low uh, hanging cover, you know, along some of those rivers? <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Get hung right up in it. <laughs> That's awesome. About one out of every three casts, I had to go get the get the fly out of a tree. <laughs> so, um, so pretty much crawfish, anything on the bottom. Um, yep, it's gonna be good. Okay, so what about how's how's a good way to handle them? Um, are we are we doing kind of the same procedures as largemouth? Are they? You know, more sensitive yeah, or um i think they're a very hardy fish but like any other bass like you were saying um I don't, they're not like trout i mean I, you can hold one out of water to get a picture but i wouldn't hold them out too long i mean if you yeah. held your head underwater how long could you hold that's kind of right. how i tell people um i think in the hotter months i don't think they're quite as hardy as in the cooler months um they, they just don't handle as well in the heat of the summer versus when it's a little bit cooler out. So I wouldn't hold them out of water too long, you know. Yeah, keep them wet, make um, sure the scales are wet. And... Yes, sir. But I don't think scales in any bump board before you measure. But the they're not like a trout or where you, if you touch them, they'll die kind of deal. Um, yeah. They're not They're not that um, that. Not that sensitive. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's that's good to know. Kind of an all-American, everybody can can get it fish, and kids can yeah it, get a good picture with them. <laughs> they're just a neat fish, and honestly, if anybody has not tried them yet, they they are really pound for pound. They fight really good. Like if I I put a two-pound largemouth against a two-pound swanee, and I take the swanee all day. Yeah, the fight the fight is tremendous. Um, I I call them the smallmouth of the south because they do fight like a smallmouth. Yeah. Um, um, they really they really are good fighting fish. Um, so that's that's a neat thing. Um, but anyway, I, I didn't know if that we had come up and said that yet, but that's a that's definitely true. They're they're a good fighter. They do fight very well. Uh, yeah. I had I had one hooked that was. I, you know, I, I've been chasing the, the Florida Citation, the 14-and-a-half-inch Sewanee. And I've gotten close yeah. a couple times, 14-and-a-quarter and 14-and-three-eighths. And but uh, yeah. I had one on, on the fly, man, and it, I had him on a two-weight fly rod, which is you know yeah. pretty much a wet noodle. And he <laughs> got up under a, a, like, a, like a log jam and got me hung up huh. in it, and I couldn't do anything about it. And he got off, but he would, he would have been a Citation for sure. He was a big fish. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I caught several 15 inches in the Santa Fe. Um, yeah. But that one's got a bunch. Uh, believe it or not, the busiest section of the river between Rum Island and, uh, that's, this is in Florida, Rum, between Rum Island and Fort White, the, where all the tubers are at there, Jenny Springs. Yeah. But if you've never tried that stretch of river, although it can be noisy and loud and 
uh, with college kids and going down with tubes, but it, it can be some of the best fishing in that area. I'll say, man, the area, the panhandle of Florida has really got a got a tug on my heart, man. That area is beautiful, yeah, me too. and the fishing is phenomenal. I've I've yeah. never been down there and not had fun <laughs> fishing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool for sure. Yeah. So, uh, okay, you got anything else you want to add or? Uh... Not much. I appreciate you um, having me on today on the show, and uh, I don't can't think of anything off the top of my head unless you have other questions for me. Well, do you have? Um, you know, you mentioned. Uh, a couple research papers do you have somewhere um people can go read or the one you're talking yeah. about um with joel do you know where will it be published um i'm not entirely sure but okay. i think the expectation study will probably be in north american journal of fisheries management okay i'm not sure about the movement and we're talking about two different most likely publications um um you can look me up on ResearchGate. Um, and just Google Tim Bonvecchio, uh, B-O-N-V-E-C-H-I-O is my last name, and Tim is my first name. You can look me up on ResearchGate, and you can find all my different uh, publications, and you can request a publication. It's a free site to look up um, the different pubs that I have, and I, I think I sent Jeff some of them, but yeah. if somebody listening wants to, I can send them a free copy. Um, and also... If people want to target the Swanee Bass, the Georgia DNR had put out a Georgia wildlife blog. Um, if you Google how to hook a bass slam Swanee Bass, the, the, it comes up. So it's, uh, you can find it on there. And there's a lot of information on there about which boat ramps you might want to try out of to target the Swannies on the three rivers. We have them in Georgia. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, I'm so glad I caught up with you and, uh, and talked about this and we'll, uh, we'll have to do another one. Um, yeah, man. Um, maybe I'll we can keep sit you, down live I'll keep and you in mind, Jeff, here. I don't know how long, how often you get over here, but, uh, we put float trips together occasionally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not enough. I don't come over there enough. I, I'll say that. I, I hear you. So, but, well, um, it's been a, been a pleasure being on with you there. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for uh, for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it for all your bass fishing and fly fishing friends. All right. Good vibes, tight lines, and God bless. <laughs> awesome.